How Penguins Dump on Climate Change. That story and more on H2O Radio's Weekly News Report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. The federal government has proposed steps to address low water levels on the Colorado River. Last summer, the Bureau of Reclamation said usage would need to be cut by as much as 30 percent. Last week, the agency came up with two alternative plans to cut allocations. One would result in prioritizing the older legal rights of farmers in California, and the other would sacrifice those rights to the needs of cities, particularly in Arizona. Favoring urban needs in Arizona would hurt farmers in Southern California, who produce much of the nation's fruits and vegetables. On the other hand, honoring those historic rights in California could result in Arizona having to curtail much of its Colorado River allocation that delivers water to Phoenix, Tucson, and farmers. Negotiations among the states are said to be making progress, and there's growing confidence a deal could be reached that respects older legal rights and doesn't cut off cities or those with junior allocations. The Fed's plans, which don't currently affect the upper basin states of Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, New Mexico, are now subject to public comment. A decision could come this summer. Last week, Fort Lauderdale suffered a rainstorm that dropped 25 inches of water in seven hours. Government data show heavy rainfalls have increased by nearly 30 percent in the southeast over the past 50 years. Climate activist Bill McKibben noted that while the Fort Lauderdale event was a freak of nature, it was also utterly predictable. As the planet warms, the atmosphere can hold more water, and he warns that we are entering a phase of steep rises in global temperatures as El Nino conditions return. New research from the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab shows that by the end of the century, the biggest rain and snow days will be 20 to 30 percent wetter than they are today. Much of that increased precipitation will occur in winter. But a warmer atmosphere also causes more evaporation. A study led by Nanjing University in China shows that climate change is making summer droughts faster and more furious. So-called flash droughts, which come on suddenly, can kill large areas of crops, not only from lack of rain and snow, but also because the atmosphere gets so hot and dry, it sucks water right out of plants and soil. The researchers found that flash droughts are occurring more often in nearly three-quarters of the world. Swimming pools and lush landscapes, the lavish lifestyles of the wealthy require a lot of water. And according to a new study, they do so at the expense of the poor. New research led by Uppsala University found high water use by the elite to irrigate gardens, wash cars, or fill pools are driving urban water crises around the globe, at least as much as climate change or population growth. The study focused on Cape Town, South Africa, where many people live without taps and toilets and use their limited water for drinking and hygiene. The researchers found that affluent households, which make up less than 14% of Cape Town's population, used more than half of the water consumed in the city, while lower-income groups, which account for nearly two-thirds of the city's residents, consumed just over one-quarter. The authors say that low-income households are significantly more vulnerable to drought and water crises than the elite, who can afford price increases and find alternative water sources, such as digging wells. The study said that more than 80 cities worldwide face similar water scarcity and equity issues, including London, Miami, and Mexico City. They add that while solutions to urban water use have focused on raising prices and finding more supplies, 
more consideration should be given to reducing unsustainable consumption among elites. And finally, phytoplankton. The tiny ocean organisms are climate superstars for the amount of carbon dioxide they sequester from the atmosphere through photosynthesis. To grow, all phytoplankton need is sunlight, CO2, and a few nutrients in the water, including nitrogen, phosphorus, and iron. Most iron in the ocean drifts from dust on land, but not much ends up in the southern ocean, so any of the element there needs to be recycled. That task has largely been handled by a relationship between krill, tiny shrimp-like crustaceans, and baleen whales. Krill eat plankton and then are eaten by whales. When the whales poop, the iron in their feces is taken up by plankton and the cycle continues. But these two aren't the only players in this game. New research shows that shorebirds play a key role in iron recycling, and in particular, penguins punch above their weight. Scientists in Spain used drone images to estimate the size of chin-strap penguin colonies in Antarctica and then calculated how much iron their poop, also known as guano, contained. The penguins also feast on krill and have been found to poop over 500 tons of iron back into the icy water each year. That might sound like a lot, but it's only half the amount from four decades ago, as the birds' numbers have plummeted due to climate change. Less penguin guano affects phytoplankton growth, which in turn will sequester less carbon and be less able to keep the climate in check. That means chin-strap penguins will take it on the chin despite doing their utmost to keep ecosystems healthy. That's it for This Week in Water. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.